Superpowers on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that lifts the voice of love from orgasms to superpowers and everything in between. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sex, Love, and Superpowers podcast show. I'm your host, Tatiana Berende, and today we have a little bit of a different kind of an episode. This is our first time having two guests on um, who I will be interviewing together. And our topic today is kind of a heavy one, but it feels really important and especially timely right now. Our topic today is psychic manipulation and sexual abuse. And I'm going to be speaking with Mangala Holland and Nancy Ellen Miller, um, specifically about their experiences at the Agama Yoga School in Thailand. Before we um, jump into this conversation, I want to tell you a little bit about these amazingly brilliant women who have Um, so graciously agreed to come on the show and talk about this today. Um, Let me tell you first about Mangala. She's the founder of Sacred School of Shakti and is an international facilitator of women's groups, tantric rituals, retreats, and workshops. And she also offers private mentoring. She teaches worldwide, primarily in Australia, the UK, Bali, Thailand, the US, India, and Mexico. She places a strong emphasis on self-love, embodiment, and empowerment, bringing the sacred into all elements of her life and teachings. She gives people the tools to empower themselves sexually and spiritually and teaches in a no-nonsense, accessible style. Nancy Ellen Miller is our other guest. Uh, Nancy is an artist, coach, editor, and writer. Nancy's academic and creative work crosses disciplines, and explores new territory both creatively and critically. She aspires to serve others to find their own artistic voices and create their own rituals to support their well-being. In her coaching practice, Nancy uses evidence-based mindfulness to teach people the value in trusting their own intuition, honoring their inner wisdom, and believing in their inherent creativity. She bases her coaching practice in neuroscience. And I am just so delighted and honored to have both of you on the show today. Welcome, and thank you so much for joining me. Um, We always start this show off asking people about their superpowers, and even though we're diving into a a really deep topic today, um, and and the focus is not so much on on your individual work, but really how we can... um, bring this really dark and deep experience into more of a light that can be of service to others. I still want to ask because you're both such brilliant women in and of your own right. And I really want to provide an opportunity for you to share what your superpowers are with our guests. So um, Nancy, would you be willing to, to respond first to this question of what are your superpowers? Make sure you unmute yourself. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Um, so the first thing that comes up, and I sort of ask my intuition, you know, what in this moment is my superpower? And the first one is bravery. <laughs> and I also find that curi- my curiosity, my imagination, my patience and love and resilience, these all are superpowers that I have. And uh, they come from the work that you mentioned in, in the introduction. I'm, I'm very interested in exploring my ancestry and the power of my maternal line and the wisdom of, you know, ancient representations of motherhood and, and feminine wisdom. And I think that I try to tap into that, like, long history of, of wisdom in, in, the, in what I, the work I'm doing now. So, yeah, that's where I'll leave off. 
Beautiful, beautiful. I love it. Thank you so much. Um, and Mangala, what would you say your superpowers are? Uh, I think one of my main superpowers is really um, giving people tools to empower themselves, particularly women, uh, and empowering themselves in their pleasure and their sexuality as well as their spirituality. Uh, I have a strong um, power in, in helping women really tap into the sacredness that exists within their own bodies and to help them access that. So it's really giving them tools to empower themselves so that it's coming from deep within and that they've got um, sexual sovereignty. Um, I'm also an emotional deep diver. I'm constantly in the transform transformational space myself. and I, um, I'm really passionate about holding really safe spaces for people to explore their transformation. Yeah, uh, I'd also say I'm a taboo breaker as well. <laughs> My kind of lady. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you so much, both of you, for that. Um, before we go to our break, um, I want to give our listeners um, just a little taste of what Agama is and what we're going to be talking about more. Um, again, our topic today is psychic manipulation and sexual abuse. and um, I, I wanted to give uh, Mangala in particular an opportunity to maybe just give you all a little bit of an overview of what Agama is or was or has been um, as a former operations manager. I think she is really well equipped to speak to, to what Agama is. And um, yeah, so I'm just going to give you the floor right now to give us a little synopsis for our listeners who have no clue what that means. Sure. So um, Agama Yoga is a, or was a very large yoga school based on Koh Phangan, uh, an island in Thailand. And it's existed there for, I think it's over 10 years now. Um, and it started as a very small operation from one yoga hall. And over time, it's, it's grown and grown and grown and grown. And they have a focus on what they call tantric yoga. Um, and that meant that we would hold postures for a long time and it was deeply meditative and we were focusing on chakras and energy. Um, so the, the, the way they have the system set up there is that you go and you can drop in and do a day or two days, whatever, but they have like a first month intensive course, um, which is three classes a day. So it's very intense. And then after that, you, they, they have levels, monthly levels. So Basically, to finish the whole 24-level curriculum can take years. And then after that, there's additional studies, there's advanced classes, etc. So it's, it's a very um, interesting framework, the way it's set up, that you'd always be looking to see what was in the next level, what's coming next. And there's a lot of people stay in that environment for a very long time, or they come back year after year after year. So they have the yoga side and then they also have the tantra side, sexual tantra, which they call traditional tantra. Um, having left the environment a few years ago, I then realized that it's actually not traditional tantra at all. It's a complete mix of all kinds of techniques. Um, and they run regular workshops and retreats and this kind of stuff. Um, and it's, it's headed by a guy called Swami Vivekananda, whose real name is Narcissus. Uh, who's Romanian, and, and on, on paper that all sounds great and lovely and it's fun in the sun and it was beautiful experience to be there in many ways, but there's a really dark, seedy underbelly of 
as you quite rightly say, psychic manipulation and sexual abuse, which has all eventually come out now in the press in the last few months. But this has been going on for years and years and years. It's a very patriarchal setup and there's a lot of manipulation and brainwashing. Um, and essentially, I, I, it is a cult. Um, I'm, I have no absolute, no doubts whatsoever that it is a cult. Um, and I've seen many of us damaged when, when we finally had the courage to leave and pick up our lives and start again. So, uh, and they have branches all over the world as well. So um, some more successful than others, but there's, they have branches all over. So it's, and do those branches all go under the name of Agama or do they have different most, Yeah, most of them do, but some of them, um, for example, there was Trika Yoga in India, which I believe has changed its name to Agama, but there were several offshoots. I know there's one in London that has a different name, and um, so some people have gone off and changed the name. So, And there's there's thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people who've been through this school from all over the world, and thousands of people who've been trained in yoga, and many people trained, so-called trained, in Tantra. Um, and that means that there's people all over the world teaching this stuff without much discernment, without having gone through much of an inquiry process into what was safe and what wasn't. Um, and so I think a lot of the ex-community now are in a kind of state of shock of working out what's clean, what's not, what's what they should drop and what they should keep. Yeah, there's so, so much to that. And, and we're going to dive into that when we get back. From the break because I think that's I mean that's one of the things that happens with with psychic manipulation and with cults in general is like they're all founded on there's a kernel of truth in there but uh you get your head gets so messed up and you get out of it and you're like wait a minute what's true and what's not what's real what's not what can I trust what can I not trust um there's a there's so much in there um so I know that you you both do your own work outside of, of that now and you have deep wisdom that you've gained and gleaned through this experience and through many other experiences that you have. Before we go to the break, I would just love to have both of you share your um, websites where people can go to find out more about you and your work. Maybe um, starting with you, Nancy, if you could just give us your, your website so people can find you and your work and know more about you. Sure. My, my, my website is simply my name. So that's nancyellenmiller.com, N-A-N-C-Y-E-L-L-E-N-M-I-L-L-E-R.com. And yeah, I offer individual coaching services and workshops, and I also have a, blo a, a blog. So people can find me there. Everything's there. Beautiful. And, and Mangala, can you tell us your information where people can find more about you? Sure. My website is manglaholland.com. So again, just my name, which is M-A-N-G-A-L-A-H-O-L-L-A-N-D.com. Great. So we are going to be really uh, dissecting this topic when we get back. You don't want to miss this. Please stay tuned. Are you here to change the world? Do you talk about things like vibration, frequency, awakening, and consciousness? Are you pretty sure you have superpowers? The Superpower Net is unlike normal coaching programs and conscious communities. We provide training, intuitive guidance, peer-to-peer -peer learning, intensive one-on-one -on -one coaching, and a high vibrational network of people just like you. When you 
you join the net, you get 24-7 access to a collaborative group of people who support you as you master your personal power and unlock your superpowers. If you're ready to use your superpowers to change the world, then join the Superpower Net today. Visit superpowerexperts.com slash the net to learn more. Okay. Um, one of the things that I feel like is really valuable to discuss is sort of maybe what drew you to Agama to begin with, um, where you were at in your journey and what you were looking for. Uh, I, I feel like this question is important because one of the things that I would really hope for this interview to be able to serve as is a um, this an information for people who might be about to enter into a situation like what you both went through without knowing it. And, uh, and I think being able to identify like where we were when we started, where we were before we had these kinds of experiences that both of you encountered at Agama is really important information. Um, so maybe starting with you, Nancy, will you, will you tell our listeners a little bit about why you ended up at Agama? What brought you there? What, what you were hoping for, what you were looking for in that experience? Absolutely. I was, um, well, six months before I came across Agama, this was back in its beginnings in 2003, I had uh, almost died of septic shock. I had went into a kidney, I had a kidney stone and went into a hospital in Prague and uh, almost lost my life, was very sick. And it was during that time in the hospital that I started to have very intense and uh, in serious questions about life and death and how to live my life and if I was living uh, in the best way possible. And I remember really longing uh, to live fully and to really, to really know what love was. <laughs> I remember waking up and I just wanted to know the answer to that question. And so I did what a lot of, you know, people in their 20s do, which was travel. And I had been interested in spirituality and I grew up in a, a family that mother and father did yoga. And I, um, yeah, I, so I did a 10-day meditation retreat in, uh, in outside, not far from Agama, a Buddhist uh, forest monastery. And I met a, uh, one of the teachers there, one of the Agama teachers there, and was going in the same direction and came across this school. And this was really before the internet. So now I think we have an excellent resource, the internet. You can Google things and you can look up teachers and, and read reviews. But at that time, that just didn't exist. And I came across this school, was quite enchanted by the beauty of of Thailand at the time, and I found Swami actually quite convincing, very charismatic. Um, he is very, you know, he's a very intelligent man, very persuasive, and posed questions that I about yoga that I had not heard quite framed like that before. So he would ask very specific questions like, you know, why are you here? What is your purpose? And that that really drew me in, and I think um, that's what really pulled me in. And I, of course, didn't know about all these other things going on, as, as Mangala says, the underbelly, the seedy underbelly of it. That didn't really appear for, you know, months into, into the training. Would you, um, looking back, would you say that, you know, we have twenty twenty hindsight and, like, let's use it. Yeah. Can you sort of pinpoint the, the moment 
And and then as soon as you've answered, I want to hear how Mangala came to Agama as well. But I'm I'm just really curious, Nancy. Can you, looking back, sort of see where from where you're sitting now, like it was clear that something was off, or that there was a CD underbelly, or that there was sort of that psychic manipulation piece in place from go? Or would you say there was like a certain point? where you can look back and say, like, that was the moment where I started to realize that something was off. Yeah, I, I can't, to be honest, I can't pin, because it was so long ago, I can't pinpoint uh, an exact moment. But I do have recollection, recollections of hearing often men, but women too, say things about female and male relationships that just didn't feel right to me. Like uh, what? Do you have uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of a specific example. Well, I remember hearing one of the teachers say, you know, women couldn't, shouldn't be C, uh, C, CEOs, that women could not have any authentic uh, leadership position because they just weren't cut out for it. The, 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 fem, the female embodiment, Agama taught at the time, could not uh, authentically lead. And so that was fishy, of course. Because and, of the way the female body's designed, or what was their, like, back? It was the, it was the whole tantric philosophy that, that was given at the school, that, that you know, men were, men were the leaders, authentically. I actually remember at one point, because um, I was really into, you know, music at the time, and I would... I remember sitting in a lecture, and or was it, it was a workshop, and... It was either Swami or his, his partner, who's now named Maha, uh, teach that w- women, women could not actually have their own interests, that all of their interests came from men. <laughs> and it was just these little, little things that I remember hearing, thinking, this isn't right. And yet there was no critical discourse. There was no, and I come from a, an academic background. and I'm strongly critically minded and I read a lot. And so there was no, there was no open, openness for discussion. Like we couldn't debate. Like if you, if you look at, for example, uh, Tibetan schools, Buddhist schools, I mean, there's also obviously problems in all traditions, but you you see you see debates happening. You see students arguing. <laughs> Just was not any of that at a gamma. You could not. I felt like I couldn't question uh-huh. any of this philosophy, and because it's sort of this isolated community. In it's not a walled community. When I was there, it's not a cult where you like you walk in the gates and everything is taken care of. There's a freedom to come and go, but there is this sense of like you're an isolated group of people living in Thailand that was not integrated at all with the Thai community and just had this kind of singular uh, view of things that if you questioned it, and I remember questioning it, and other people questioned it too, and some of these things, crazy things would come out of someone's mouth, and, but there was no recourse, there was no dialogue, there was no way to argue it. Was it kind of like you were questioning it amongst each other, like amongst yourselves, but you weren't able to actually sort of publicly ask him a question and have him respond? Yeah. Okay. And, and, and I think there was a little bit of that. I, rem- I remember, you know, because some people would question, but there was just the, the whole environment uh, suppressed any real authentic uh, questions of, of, of the whole framework. 
And it was sort of insidious the way that it would um, get under your skin because I didn't even recognize it happening. You know, I went, I mean, I went to the, into the school really sort of feminist and all of this and, and Swami taught um, that feminism was the root and the destruction of all, you know, romantic relationships, which is actually not <laughs> all that different than what you hear in some, you know, in our culture. Um, so I, I, yeah, I mean, I think that he was, I mean, back to your original question. Um, I think he was, you know, feeding off of, uh, I don't, I don't know, feeding off of other people's fears and, my own desire to to be, you know, to 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 have some sort of framework for love and relationships, and that's that's what drew me, I think, to to um, all of that those tantric workshops, which many people, you know, they want um, some kind of guide, and unfortunately, he was the wrong guide. <laughs> Sounds like he had the skill of being able to hear the questions that you yeah. were asking and relay them back to you. I think he he definitely had that skill. He's not an, he, he's very intelligent and I think you know he he posed a lot of interesting questions and answered a lot of interesting questions for people which is I think in in modern society we just we don't we don't ask those questions as much unless you're in a religious environment or a, a framework that is doing that. And so he he called upon a lot of people's needs for meaning and understanding of the universe and all of this. And unfortunately, tied that into a lot of very dangerous teachings, which he learned from his own guru. I don't know how much you know about him, but uh, um, I want to hear from Mangala how how she came um, to Agama and, and sort of where well, Mangala where you were at when you. In your, in your own journey, when you landed at this school, what brought you there? Sure. So I was living in the UK and I hit corporate burnout. Uh, I was working for stockbrokers, traveling all over the country. And I was also DJing a lot in bars and nightclubs. So I led a very double life and it all just got too much eventually. And, and I hit burnout. So my plan was to take a year off and go travel and to go deeper into meditation and yoga because it was something that I'd had this this yearning for and I'd been doing yoga in gyms in the UK and and it was something I was really curious about exploring. So my first port of call was India. This is 2009. And um, yeah, I was traveling for a few months. I did some volunteering. I was doing drop-in yoga wherever I was. And then I got to Rishikesh and I was a bit overwhelmed by the amount of yoga that was there. I don't know if you know much about Rishikesh, but it's considered the capital of yoga. And there's the good, the bad and the ugly mm-hmm. and get everywhere. And it's impossible to, to know what's good and what's not good. And so I did a few classes in different places. And then I saw this poster and something pulled me towards it. And I went to this, um, this talk that it was actually Muktananda, who's one of the accused. He was leading the school there and he gave this, this intro talk. Um, and this intro talk inspired me so much and it was so um, passionate. And he was really um, talking to us about how, really inspiring us into how we were different to everybody else and different to our parents. And, you know, the world doesn't understand us and there's all this deep stuff and it's magical and all these things we can experience. 
but you know society doesn't get us and that's why we're different and that's why and it really spoke to me as somebody who never wanted kids who wasn't in the normal didn't didn't feel like I fitted into normal society that this was a spiritual path I could engage in and even right in that very first talk I was like okay I'm going to change my plans I was only supposed to be there a week I'm going to stay here I'm going to do this one month course and I loved it um and I spent many years being really heavily drinking and taking drugs and during that month I went through huge transformations like purified myself I was doing all the cleansing techniques that they recommended and I started to feel amazing and and everything changed I threw out all the medication I was on I stopped taking the pill I went through massive changes in that month and I was really inspired um, and I carried on traveling and a few months later I found myself in Thailand I thought well I'll just go and check out that yoga school and see what else they've got going on there um and I thought I was going to be there for a month. I went for a month, went away for a couple of months. And in the last month of my one year away, I went back to that school for a month. Um, so that was 2010. I ended up staying until 2015. Um, so the was up. I went for yoga. I didn't get involved in any of the sexual. I didn't even go to a tantra workshop for at least a year. I was very naive and I just wanted to do yoga. Was was most of the abuse that occurred um, through the sort of the tantric arm of the school, if you will? Yeah, I would say um, once you're there for the yoga and you start doing all these things and you can feel that they're working, um, things become normalized over time. So things that you would have questioned in the beginning over time, it's like, well, everything else they said seems to be true so why would I question it um, and it becomes very normalized particularly when you're surrounded by all these advanced students who've been doing everything and they're all telling you yep this works and uh, so over time yes that I think the abuse is definitely more in the tantra um, side of things um, but the two start to get very enmeshed and it's very hard to separate and I think the biggest programming was happening in the the men's and women's groups which you, at the time you weren't allowed to join until I think it was the third month. Uh, it was kind of like by then you were conditioned enough to be less questioning. And this, they were called the Vera and the Shakti groups. And this is where a lot of the main kind of programming really became really strong. And in the first Shakti group I attended, I remember Justine, who was mentioned in the first article that was published. She was one of the enablers. She basically said, feminism is bullshit. Um, as, as women, are to be a good Shakti, we would support our men. And that meant that if he got a job on the other side of the country, we would drop everything and follow him. And that was the role of a good woman. Um, and that was, that was how it was. It was really quite shocking. That was probably my first red flag. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. And but was the fact that it, that information was being delivered by a woman was somehow that does something psychologically, right? Oh yeah, and then and then the discussion around that, you know, because I did raise it and I walked out of that that class absolutely fuming. But everybody around me was saying, "Well, if you've got a charge about that, then that's something you should explore." So right. for some reason, I went back the following week, and um, yeah, it was unbelievable and that's how they that's how they kind of got you over it well if you've got resistance there must be something there that you've got a problem with and you need to look at 
um, rather than it being genuine resistance. So we were we were slowly and subtly being encouraged to drop all our critical thought and our all these these little barriers and normal boundaries were slowly being chipped away. I really love that you brought that piece up about the resistance because that is, I mean, again, this is where these pieces of like, there's a kernel of truth in that, right? I mean, I work as a spiritual counselor and that's often something that, that comes up when we're, when we're on our path and we, and we meet these places of resistance inside ourselves and like, and, and so so there are times when it's like, yeah, we feel big charge and there's some work for us to do there. But then there's also times where it's like there's an innate, almost like a animalistic instinct kicking in and being able to discern that is hugely, hugely important. And I think, I feel like you just, you just really hit on such a key piece of how some of these communities can perpetuate for such a long time Um, because that's like that's so tricky you know that is so tricky yeah definitely and there were there were constant moments of that over the years Um, but you know when everything else was felt so good and so positive then it was like well we can skirt around that issue and there were there were constant um, stories of well, it was called trouble or drama. So we never really got to the bottom of it, but there was always something going on with a woman who had an issue with Swami or one of the senior teachers. And it was always kind of brushed off as oh, drama or, or trouble. So we never really heard what was going on. And the women were always gaslighted and made to be seen as crazy. And normally they'd leave the island straight away. Um, so all these things would happen periodically. And Swami would say, well, if you teach Chantra, then you expect some flack to be thrown at you. So this is, this is it. And um, because he was upfront about sleeping with his students, he said, I'm not, like, I'm not like these Catholic priests who pretend to be celibate. So I'm upfront about it, so it's okay. It kind of gave him carte blanche to, to get away with whatever he wanted, to be honest. Um, when did you, Mongo, I mean, so you're operations manager. You must have had sort of had to interface with a number of those kinds of stories as someone who was working there, right? Yeah. And in my very first um, manager's meeting in 2011, it was a huge uproar because the general manager at the time had been to Swami. Um, so I should call him Narciss, but it's easier probably for the listeners if we use the word Swami. Um, He'd been to him in a meeting and laid down the law because some trouble had broken out again. And I don't know what that story was, but many, many students left. And he'd laid out this law of you can't hit on your students anymore. I think he put a desk between in in his office so that when he was having one-to-one meetings with female students, that they would be on the other side of a desk that was supposed to make it safer. And he, the, the whole manager's meeting was basically in uproar about the way he was treating women and manipulating women. Um, so it was there right from the word go. And, and at what point did you kind of like, I don't know, I guess I, I want to hear from both of you about this. Like, like what, was, what was the period or the, the defining moment where you were like, this is actually really not okay? 
uh, and I need to get out of here. Maybe maybe Nancy, will you will you answer that question first? Well, I think there are there are a couple defining moments, uh, and the, the first one I think was when I was doing the teacher training in 2005 and there was a, a meeting, I believe it was called the, eventually labeled the golden Tara. And that was a, a meeting where the, the Swami came in and, and called all his advanced students. And I was invited because I was doing the TTC and he told everyone that he had had a dream that, uh, that, that there was going to be sort of a, a apocalyptic world war. And he called people in, uh, asked for donations, money to find uh, an ashram, to build an ashram somewhere on a mountain. He mentioned Peru. People eventually went to New Zealand. And I just remember, you know, I always had one foot in the school and one foot out. And <laughs> that was a moment where I was really like, why am I here? Because I looked around me and I, I started to, you know, people were getting afraid. And I was like, why are people getting afraid? What is, what is going on here? And uh, that's the first moment, I, I defining moment that I remember uh, intuitively feeling that this was a cult. This, this, is, this is a cult. Uh, uh, I didn't leave at that point. I think I remember trying to leave and then seeing someone at the door, actually one of the accused at the, um, at the door saying, you know, it's your bad karma to leave. So that was another way that they kept people in, as they would say. You know, if you talk badly about your teacher or you leave this path, it's your bad karma. You know, to, again, uh, that, that topic of resistance, you know, it's, um, it's your resistance that is, is keeping you from enlightenment. And the other defining moment was that when I finally left was I was sitting in, in the yoga hall and I had just heard these lectures uh, repeated and repeated and repeated the same things. And, and he, he started talking about this kind of theory of race <laughs> where he had, you know, the different chakra, the different energy centers. And he actually said, you know, that Northern Europe was on a higher energy chakra than Africa. And I just, I felt sick. I felt sick when he said that. And I looked around and no one was stirring. And I just said, I, I can't, this is wrong. This, this place is wrong. So then I, I just didn't go back after that. I was still sort of involved. I, I never went back to the, uh, the um, ashram after that, but um, I was still involved in ways. Yeah, but those are the first two instances when I really, really felt that something was seriously wrong. And did you yourself experience um, sexual abuse at Agama? Not at, you know, not at Agama. It was afterwards. I mean, that's a story that is difficult to tell on air, but and you I don't need to. Yeah, I mean, I, I got cancer, which was something, this is another story of a gamma that's not highlighted as, as much as the sexual abuse, but there was, you know, violations against human rights in terms of the health advice. And, and we were taught, for example, when I was there, that if you didn't wear, uh, if, you, if you did sun salutations every day, you wouldn't need protection like, you know, sunscreen, you wouldn't get skin cancer. If you did a gamma yoga every day, you wouldn't get cancer. Uh, this was actually taught once in a lecture. And so I ended up getting cancer and I just broke off all ties from the school. You know, it was like a very visceral revolt of my body just saying this is, 
you know, this is, this whole school is, is ridiculous. And then I just, but I found that I had not released the, uh, the hierarchical uh, per perceptions of male and female relationships, that that had got under my skin in ways that I had, was not even conscious of. And it wasn't until I entered a, an abusive relationship, like right after I cut off from the gamma, and I went through my own trial. I mean, I don't want to share that whole story online, but it was, yeah. it's, like, it's like a mirror. It's like a, it was like a mirror of everything that was going on at a gamma, but in another context. Uh, and so it took me a while to, when I, when I reported that assault, I started having really strong, uh, again, physical reactions of what is now called post-traumatic stress. And it was actually the release of those symptoms that made me realize that whole story of the gamma and all the, the abuse just came out like from, from my brain, you know, from a neuroscientific perspective, those, those traumatic memories are released. And that's when I started to research cults and uh, network with other people and, and look online for reviews of a gamma and really started researching it because yeah, I mean, there's, there was so much abuse at that school, sexual abuse, psychic abuse, uh, health abuse, um, you know, all, all different kinds of, of manipulation. Yeah. And Mangala, how about you? When did, when did you sort of first realize, like, I need to, I need to get out of here. This is the, I can't, I can't continue on in this. This is wrong. It's so interesting because for years things just got so heavy for me. Um, I would say from from 2012, I did the first, uh, yeah, 2013, I did the very first tantra teacher training that they offered there. Um, and things got really heavy for me for the next two years. Uh, I was working really long hours for the school. I was exhausted all the time. I couldn't understand why. Um, I just had absolutely no confidence. Basically, my confidence had been completely destroyed. I was constantly being asked, why don't I have five lovers um, by Swami? Um, so he basically wore me down into sleeping with him eventually. Um, and that was the worst decision I ever made. Um, the, the, the final straw came for me. I tried to leave in 2014. Um, I knew I was done. I knew it was over. I, I just... This, this depression and heaviness that had been going on so long, I just couldn't, I just couldn't stay there anymore. But then I, I fell in love with somebody and I ended up, even though we were only together a short time, it kept me in school for another year. And so 2015, there was what the finance manager there actually blew the whistle on the financial irregularities. And that was it. The veil lifted immediately and I suddenly saw everything. Um, and all of the management team, we all left at the same time. Um, we discovered that basically Swami and the foundation had been creaming off an absolute fortune from the figures and were declaring that the school was going bankrupt and trying to blame it on us and saying we were greedy managers for wanting work permits and things like that. And um, so it was a really interesting time and the veil just lifted straight away and, and I just saw through it everything uh, I left the island within a month of finishing work for a gamma yeah. um, it's like once you see one connection you start to see all of them right yeah absolutely and 
And I realized then I kind kind of came to my senses about the sexual abuse I'd been through there, which I it hadn't been comfortable enough to admit or look at because then I'd have to process it all. Um, right. And so once I left, and I was quite public, I, I was pretty vocal about what had happened, and I I lost basically all my friends because people just thought I was crazy; they couldn't believe it. You know, it's. It was so far out there and so wacky what I was sharing. Nobody in inside wanted to, you know, look at the fact they're in a cult for obvious reasons. So I lost my whole community and started my life again. And um, and then once I'd left, I was getting regular messages from women, basically, me too, me too, me too. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, this happened to me. And the stories were all just so similar um, that it was the start of, really piecing something together and recognizing that it wasn't me going crazy and that, you know, it was a very twisted place to be. So I want to ask you some questions and I want you to know that you don't have to answer any of them. Um, again, the, my questions are, are really coming from just a, like wanting to inform women um, so that they can, if they can, make a different choice or so that this conversation is in their minds. If, if they ever end up in a situation like this, um, you know, you, you mentioned like he finally wore you down into sleeping with him. And, and, and you said in that moment, that was the worst decision you ever made. Yeah. I I just, I just wanted like, why do you think like, what was the mechanism? Why did you end up making that decision? What occurred? If you could just, like, slow it down and look at, like, what happened to just magnify that, to explain it to someone else. Like, yeah. Yeah. It took three years. <laughs> it took him three years to wear me down. Um, and bear in mind, I was often having meetings and stuff because of, the, because of my job role. So I would see him a lot more than maybe other people would. Uh, it was this constant... This, it's an NLP technique called negging, um, really making you feel bad about yourself. Why haven't you got five boyfriends? A woman like you should be sleeping with every man in the school, blah, 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 and um, really making me feel very insecure. And this went on over a long, long period of time. Um, but the final straw for me was um, in 2013, I went to Bangkok and had a pap smear, cervical smear, and... I, they discovered that there was abnormalities on the smear test. And so I went to Maha, who was the school doctor, and also Justine, who was the other kind of head woman, and I, obviously because I'd been there so long. I, and I wanted to treat it naturally. And so I went to both of them for advice. And they basically said, yeah, there's, you know, you can take these herbs. We'll do some homeopathy, blah, blah, blah. But really what you need is you need sex with a very experienced tantric man. And so I went to Swami for advice and he gave me a list of five men I could go and approach. Uh, These five men, well, one of them had 10 lovers at the time. Two of them were in monogamous relationships. It was basically the list was useless. Um, One of them was off the island anyway. So it was just like, basically, there were no choices. And I went back to him and and he kept pestering me. Have you you got on with this list? Have you got on with this list? And that made me feel even worse. And then he, he basically offered his services. And, you know, there are other options implying him. And I just, I felt I had to do it for my health, Um, which is ridiculous looking back. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, And so I I was with him a few times that year and a a couple of times the year after. And I I can't talk about the specifics of uh, 
the sexual abuse that happened because of the legal stuff that's going on at the moment. Um, but there was a there was a very clear incident, a boundary violation that was absolutely not okay. It was definitely sexual abuse. Would you say um, it's it would be it would be a fair statement to let whoever's listening know that if they're in relationship with someone who is making comments like like you mentioned he was making about why don't you have five boyfriends like a woman like you blah blah, blah making those kinds of statements that make you feel diminished like to me if we're going to trace it back like that would be the moment where i want to encourage anyone listening like you don't have to stay in any kind of an interaction or relationship where the comments that someone is making lead to you feeling diminished about yourself oh absolutely and it goes way beyond that the whole culture of culture of the school uh, was that we were encouraged to be polyamorous. Uh, Monogamy was absolutely frowned upon and that we were also encouraged to not use condoms. So everybody was having sex with everybody and not using condoms. Um, So that to me is a red flag right there. If any man says, let's not use a condom and they don't honor that boundary or they try and spiritualize it or they try and spiritualize polyamory, if you want to explore polyamory, fine, but if it's not feeling like it's your natural calling to just to to explore that, then um, that's also a red flag. I'm um, really glad you said that because I I've seen that a lot in in communities out here in California too, where it's like it's kind of like the the next new thing, and it's like oh well, you're more spiritually advanced if you're polyamorous because you can navigate multiple relationships with people, and I. I don't buy that at all. Um, and I think it's really important to call out, it's especially, I mean, you're, you're working in the tantric community. Um, like the, the, the level of sexual clarity and boundary, if, if one is going to embark on this path has to be so clean. Absolutely. And, I mean, yeah. Yeah, and what I would say to that is that I would say the percentage of people who were in a gamma with sexual abuse in their history is probably way higher than normal society because people were there looking for healing. And, you know, they were often this, you know, they were offered this thing of Tantra will help you heal your sexual wounding. And so many of us as women were told we were blocked on our second chakra and we needed an advanced man to unblock us and awaken us. So if we were saying, you know, if we were standing up for feminism or holding our boundaries or we didn't, or we had a problem with our ass being grabbed all the time, we were blocked. Um, and, and that we needed a man to open us up. So a red flag for me, again, is if anyone tells you you're blocked <laughs> on your chakras or, or that you need you need a man to open you sexually because you don't. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Cause that's definitely a place that I have come to in this understanding too. I, I just recently started writing a book and, you know, I have an experience in my past of, of having a, a spiritual teacher um, take advantage of me. And I was very young and naive, but I mean, I, I feel very clear at this point in my journey that if, if a woman has been sexually abused and she has work to do and healing to do in that area, that it is a, a woman's job to support her in that, not a man's. Like to me, that, that, that's a boundary right there. Like it's actually yeah. not a man's job to help you with that. That's women's work. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I was, I was in my, I turned 40 while I was, you know, in 2012. I wasn't a young, naive woman. I, I, I was strong. I had my shit together or I thought I did. You know, I was not a naive young thing and I still got pulled in. So it just shows that how strong the conditioning is. Yeah. Um, we're, we're coming close to the end of our time and I just, I want to like honor and acknowledge both of you and, and um, I want to give you some time and I don't want you to feel rushed. Um, and beginning with you, Nancy, because we haven't heard your voice in a little bit here. I, I just, if there is something that you want to share either about Agama, about cults, about like what, about the, the spiritual journey and, and some of the trappings on it, what to look out for. I mean, if there's anything that you're just really inspired to share with our audience right now, this, the floor is yours. So Nancy, I would just love to hear from you. Yeah, uh, there's a couple of uh, things that came up when, when Magala was speaking. And the first is, yeah, again, returning to, to the physical body, one's own physical body and, and honoring the reactions that you have. So for example, if you feel disgusted by something that's not necessarily a resistance that you have to break down i mean sometimes you will be disgusted and and you have to honor that boundary and what your anger and your fear these are they're there for reasons (laughs) and i think sometimes in these spiritual communities you know it's these ideas that we shouldn't be afraid or we shouldn't feel disgust or we shouldn't feel anger and actually those are primal um, protection methods that create boundaries for, for our own safety. And, and, and um, I, I just remember, for example, the Swami always saying, you look so afraid. <laughs> I was like, looking back, there was a reason for that. The other thing is writing. I mean, I'm a writer, so I feel very drawn to and really advise women to write and to, and to keep journals and have a kind of ongoing dialogue with themselves about their feelings and to look back on that and to, I've been reading the journals from Agama and they're, you know, I find them quite fascinating. Um, and that's a, a journey with the self and the soul that can always be there even when there are difficult times and you are uncertain uh, I think the, the human spirit is quite strong. And, and, and if you can document that in some way, that, I think that in, is in itself very empowering. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you're kind of spearheading right now uh, trying to change some laws in Thailand. Is that true? Well, I'm hoping to, yeah. I mean, I, I've been speaking out and, and people have been writing me anonymously with, uh, you know, with law degrees and, and experience and all of this. And part of the problem is that Thailand is, uh, it only has a, th- a three-month limit uh, to in, in order in which a woman can report uh, assault and it for it to be acted on judicially. So... Uh, what I was advised was that we could pressure international governments to actually change that law, to, for international governments to put pressure on the Thai government to change the law in this in this circumstance. And I think it's possible. You know, I just think I think these people, from you know, from what I've heard, all the stories that I've heard, the transgressions, the rape, the assaults, the assault on human rights in terms of the health. I mean, these are serious, serious. serious alleged crimes and uh, I think they need to be tried in the judicial system you know and 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 and, uh, there's a lot of work to be done 
there's a lot of work to be done. So I'm hoping to, yeah, through my own writing, because that's a skill that I have to, to reach out to people, to find support uh, financially and also with volunteers that can do the work that needs to be done so that justice can be can happen for these victims. Yeah. yeah, and if there's someone listening today who maybe has a skill um, and would would want to support your effort in, in really getting some of this legislated, mm-hmm. is nancyellenmiller.com the best place for them to reach out to you? Or is there some yeah. other... I have two addresses, you know, one for a gamma, which is great because I can, uh, but you can also write me at nancy at nancyellenmiller.com or a gamma at nancyellenmiller.com. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, and thank you for, for doing that work. Because yeah. I think, I think it's, you know, I was actually having a conversation with Tonya today, who's the executive director of superpower experts. And it's like our, our spiritual work oftentimes looks like doing the work in the world, um, which it sounds like you are really stepping into. So thank you for that. I really honor, honor you for that. Thank you. Um, Mangala, what about you? If there's, if there's sort of some, some final reflections on, um, you know, psychic manipulation, sexual abuse, how, like sort of like signposts people can look out for like what what do you want to leave our listeners with is there anything that you feel like hasn't been said that really really needs to be said yeah I think it all comes down for me to becoming deeply intimate with ourselves as women um, to really really tune into our bodies so I really recommend that as women that we we empower ourselves in our pleasure and that we we get really intimate with our own bodies to understand what our own pleasure feels like uh, and to, to feel when something doesn't feel right in our bodies, to honor that, that whisper that, that something feels contracted or, or, you know, if something doesn't feel right that you, you're able to speak up and to say, actually, I'm not comfortable with that. So I really am so passionate about helping women to empower themselves in their pleasure, but also their boundaries as well. And I would say, you know, the world of sacred sexuality and neo-tantra can be really beautiful and really healing, but I would really, really recommend if you're new to this work, start with a female teacher. Start with somebody, you know, that gets some recommendations from people that you trust, but particularly with tantra teachers and body workers, you'll do yourself a big, big favor in working with a, a female practitioner or teacher first so that you feel safe and that you can explore gently and always go at the rate of the slowest part of yourself. Don't, as particularly if you've got traumas, slowing down less is more rather than going into workshops where you have these big blowout experiences that your nervous system then can't integrate. It's better to take baby steps and go slowly. And the other thing I'd say is, for me, one of the big things I've had to really process in the three years since I left is looking at all the ways I project power onto men. You know, there was a part of me that that called this in, and I've had to really do a lot of my own shadow work to make sure that doesn't happen again and to, to look at some of my issues around men and, and healing those. So um, that's what I would say. But really just bring it all back to yourself. You don't need a man to open you up. Um, sometimes we need some expert guidance, but I would really recommend starting with a female teacher, first of all. Yeah, and I think your your suggestion of really getting um, 
getting recommendations from a number of different sources. And like Nancy mentioned earlier in the conversation, like we have the internet now, we can Google people. If you're going to be working with someone in the field of sexuality, doing your due diligence on them, um, I think is really, really important because yeah, chances are nine times out of 10, when you find a female practitioner in this work, she's going to be more in integrity. And especially if you're a woman working with sexual abuse, and if that's not to say that women don't perpetuate abuse also. So, you know, just like you mentioned at, at Agama, like it was some of the women who were sort of in the, in the driver's seat of, of helping to break down the walls in your psyche, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so that's just something to put out there also that it's, it's not an across the board thing. And yet it, you're more likely all, all the practitioners that I know who are women who are working in the realm of sexuality are really top notch. And, and so if you need a resource, if you're listening to this and you need a resource, there's like a bunch of interviews that I've already done with a bunch of people. <laughs> and so you're, you've got like a library resource already in, in our, in our backlog of interviews here, you can go and listen to any number of them and see if there's someone you resonate with. Um, you know, I do this work. Mangala does this work. A lot of the beautiful women that I've interviewed do this work in terms of helping to, to really clear some of these traumas and, and, um, and be able to open ourselves up to what I consider our divine birthright. Um, which is to be able to be fully expressed, fully embodied, sexual, creatress, divine beings. So, um, and which is why I felt so important. I felt, I felt it so important to really like bring both of you ladies on and, and expose some of these things. Like, okay, we know Agama Yoga, like Narcissus, what's his last name? Um, his last name is Tarkau, T-A-R-C-A-U. Narciss Tarkau, um, Swami Vivekananda, Swami, or what was his name, Mutkananda, you said? Yeah, oh, he's not a Swami, but he goes by the name of Muktananda. Muktananda. Um, yeah. These are important names for you to know. Uh, I feel like that's, that's valuable, right? Um, and first and, and foremost, fundamentally, I think, I love what you were saying, Mangala, about like you don't need anyone outside of yourself to open you up to your own truth and your own healing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We have everything inside of us. We just, yeah, we need to put ourselves first and prioritize self-love and self-care. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you both so much for coming on the show today, for diving into this um, intense topic with me and for doing the work that you're out in the world doing. I really value and honor both of you. And if there's ever anything that we can do at SPE to support you in your, in your efforts, just please let us know. Um, and to our listeners, I love you so much. Um, I hope that you got a lot of value out of today's conversation. And until next time, go out and love yourself so that you can love the world more deeply. Many, many blessings. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today.